This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about Dragon's Egg, a 1980 hard science fiction novel by Robert L. Forward. I hadn't I heard of it? I hadn't read it at all before. Paul, had you read this? I I, I think I was the one who suggested this in the wake of when we talked about uh, uh, Mission of Gravity. I think that's what would we make su- sense. I, but that was a long I, I, time ago. It was it was, but I mean, this is this novel is Robert Forward doing like okay, Mission of Gravity. I could do better. <laughs> Because I have I have read it before, so I I think I was the person who suggested this, and that was the reason. That would make the most sense. We've done we've done like a, a few other hard SF novels since, since then as well. R- right, but this but I mean, Mission of Gravity for those listeners who haven't listened to our episode and you should takes place on a high gravity planet <laughs> in the mescal and and focuses on the mescalonites who are going to rescue a crashed uh, human space probe. Whereas this this book focuses on first contact between humans and beings on the surface of a neutron star under even more extreme high gravity, so I, it's 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 clearly forward deciding. Okay, I, I like the planet Mescaline, but we can do better. And coming up right. with uh, move the idea forward. Yeah, let's move the idea. For, that's that's good, that's good, Mice. Yes, move the idea forward. Oh my! And, and take <laughs> and take all the implications of what is what does it mean to live on a neutron star and how would humans actually communicate with it? Right. With them there. Uh, I'm assuming Micey, you hadn't heard of this or read it before. I had never heard of it. No. Yeah. I, I, I had heard of it. It's never a book I'd seen physically in print. Um, I'm not, I guess it's cause he doesn't have a massive career in science fiction. Um, it, it made a splash. He, I think he wrote a couple other books. But they were in the 80s, um, and if you didn't get them then, I guess there wasn't a lot of reprints here in Canada. I didn't see it for sale. But no, I'm just trying that. to I'm trying to think of the timeline here. And we did uh, Mission of Gravity, what uh, episode 397. So that's at least a couple of years ago. Yeah, 2016. Really? Yeah. Was it that long ago? Wow. Episode came out November 28th, 2016. So. It was a while ago, and uh, at that time, this book was not available as an audiobook. No, um, I, I know. It so came must out been, must... in the fall of last year uh, from Tantor, and it's just well, maybe maybe you had gotten some sort of notice. I, I know you don't. I don't. You. I know you don't do the new books features anymore. No, no but I. But do you troll, just... I do troll the catalogs. Especially looking right, for so, older stuff so, like this. So maybe you had mentioned it to us offline, and I thought, "Hey, yeah, do that, do that, yeah. do that." Yeah. Because <laughs> I, cle- I, cle- I clearly had to have I been the one to sell it on the th- to the two of you. Absolutely. So. It's, and I'm glad you did because this is a terrific book, don't you think? I, this is this is a Jesse book. Let's talk about big ideas. I mean, the characters aren't so great. I mean, the human characters, um, except for the first section, they're really not. But it's all about the ideas of this book. Like, mm-hmm. how, how yeah. would you have biology on a neutron star? And what does it mean to actually live on one 
and evolve and try to and live and have a civilization that's running much faster than the humans above it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, I love the ideas in this book. It was mm-hmm. just so fascinating. But the writing brought it down for me. I, I only felt brought down by the writing um, in one way, and that was hanging out with the humans. <laughs> <laughs> like not interested. Sorry, go back to your spaceship. I want to see what's going what's going on down uh, uh, on Dragon's Egg. Like, oh no, we're having a space accent. Oh, okay, that's over. Let's go. Let's Too go bad back she to didn't die, and and the rest of them died. <laughs> didn't die because I'm uh, really enjoying what's going on down on the surface here. The the uh, TV tropes page says his his work. That means Robert Forward's work was known for emphasizing interesting physics over minor details like plot and character. <laughs> You know what? I'm I'm for that. it. I'm for it. I, I I would say you know this isn't badly written. It's just he doesn't it's, care it's about. Heavily, it's heavily written. It I, is I was very that. heavily written. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you know honestly, I think it's better written than Hal Clements. Not that Hal Clements is terrible. It's just that we get to spend even more time with the the aliens, and the aliens are even more different. They're I mean, really difficult. With, never, with the Hal Clements book, they they were quite human, yeah, per- perception yeah. wise. Yeah, they they yeah they were human except for being except squashed. for not being yeah yes exactly. being squashed things on the planet. Whereas <laughs> whereas the aliens here, they have a culture, they have a society, they have they have a whole arc of civilization, which is mm-hmm. really really cool. Mm-hmm. It's yes. like I mean we 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 get we basically get to see. The rise of these creatures from the Stone Age to the Space Age, and I really appreciated that sweep of history. There are some things I didn't remember from my first read through, like the whole religious controversy subplot. Mm-hmm. I, I oh, completely yeah. forgot about the whole the whole heresy. It's like, oh wow, I didn't even remember this part. And we have a whole little, and, and with the, with the tragic ending with the prophet uh, being cast out. At the end, because the he's beam not, didn't he's show not up. Just a prophet, I think. I mean, the way he ends. How does he? He says, uh, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's impaled on yeah. a bunch of spikes, and like, holy yeah. cow, that is some interesting. See, that's the. I think there was a nice mention somewhere on the Wikipedia entry about saying, you know, this isn't a metaphor for us. This is something else. This is something where you could make metaphors from. And I'm, I, I think that's the one point in the book where, you know, he's actually, no, 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 I'm doing a little thing here. Because <laughs> the rest of it is, is uh, I mean, one of the things I normally dislike, and I probably mentioned it a, a few times on a few podcasts, is uh, when they do the sex scenes in books. And <laughs> I'm <laughs> yes. like, oh, God, another sex scene. How long is this going to last? Um, what's so funny is the sex scenes in this book are hilariously interesting. Because yeah. it's like, well, he's on guard duty, but I'm feeling randy, and all of my egg sacs need to be filled. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I know. It's pretty funny. It's so, and then there's a there's a three-way going on, and it's like, like what? And, and the thing is, normally, normally, I would be like, no, don't, do not like seeing this written down and, and described and all that stuff. But it's because they're not humans at all. I mean, they're so different from humans. Um, with the uh, it, it's, when they start to copy humans, I'm I'm like, oh, that's a bad idea. Well, no, in the sex scenes, they were using some pretty human language. 
Uh, she, they talked about body stiffening and talking and and mm-hmm. and touching all the sensitive parts. I mean, it was very alien. Yeah, but, but but there was a couple of things that I guess to put us in the context. Well, yeah, yeah like uh, they have um, their sex openings are under their eyes, right? And, yeah. And uh, you know, I haven't dribbled, I haven't drooled that way since I was an eggling. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> Um, and, and also, you know, they're the size of a sesame seed, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the, you know, this is, uh, and, and they're made of neutronium or, you know, neutrons. Um, this is not, this is not like just some, it's the opposite of Star Trek in a certain sense, right? Uh, where you meet the alien of the week and he's got a weird proboscis, uh, adjuster on his nose and, yeah. uh, he's painted green, right? And yet, uh, I note that it's not just um, the Orville that did an episode. Voyager did an episode too. Yeah, apparently Voyager. When I was when I was reading it, I well because I had seen Voyager, I knew the Voyager episode, and I was like, "Whoa, this is Voyager!" Mm-hmm. Because I, obviously I was backwards, but yeah, they, it's cool, almost though. the exact story. Have you not seen it? I I, I must have seen it because I, I did watch a lot of Voyager. I didn't watch yeah, a lot I, of Enterprise, I, but. I don't remember the exact Voyager episode, but that kind of rings a bell. Uh, but well, I do remember more the Orville. So. One of the best Orville episodes is is there. Uh, these people are living much faster than we are, and they're developing, and we're going to interfere with their culture. Yeah, yeah. And then they surpass us, which um, I think is very well done. And and the way they deal with it is actually kind of the way that the the Chila deal with the humans, right? So they send in the in the Orville episode, they send their robot down to the surface and the robot yes. can operate in real time and live a long time. And they pick him up on the next cycle when, you know, it's thousands of years later. He's lived thousands of years down on that planet's surface, but he's a robot. So it's not a big deal. And here we have the Chila create a robot to live in the slower time of the humans. Yeah. And answer their, mm-hmm. their incredibly slow, slow uh, questions. Yes. Yes. So there's a there's a lot of stuff in the in the culture, especially later on, that I'm less enthusiastic about. But their early culture and their early um, their early problems are fascinating. It's it's like visiting um, it's like visiting a kind of H.G. Wells's writing career, where you you start with um, the ancient people, like everybody early. Late 19th century, early 20th century, everybody was fascinated with writing about the hominids that people were digging up, right? So Mm -hmm. what is it like to be a caveman and live in caveman society? Well, we've got that at the beginning, right? They are essentially a cave chila, right? Mm -hmm. Their technology is low, and when they invent, when somebody gets together to invent uh, math, uh, which is a great sequence, a really fabulous, uh, you know, very hard science fiction idea SF sequence. Yeah, um, you you can say, wow, that does change a lot of things, and then you can see how you get from there to here. And uh, it's like, wow, if people taught me ma- why math is important that way. I'm like, wow, I need to run my agrarian farming system, and <laughs> I'm gonna. And, that, and and that's how it really happened. Yeah, I mean, well, that's ma- that math was invented by Meso- yeah, by Mesopotamian and Chinese and. 
and, and uh, Egyptian cultures that even had have real income, problems, right? Because What's one of the, their recording systems, right before they get the tasting plates, which is awesome as well. The recording system is uh, to use knots, right? And yeah, that's that's yeah, how they right. did it in South America. Yep. And, and even before the math, the whole the whole 2001 moment where uh, where the Chila has the little spine and uses that to kill the the other guy is like. It's it. I mean, that kind of reminded me of in 2001 when yep. the uh, primitive ape is using the bone to uh, knock down his foes. Like, duh. I mean, I could hear also Spraxinara's thruster in my head as 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 was going through that porcelain. Like, yep, this is the moment where they develop technology. Yay! <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, I I must have missed it early on in the book. Um, you know, you sort of have to put on a book like a pair of pants, a new pair of pants. You're not sure. How they're gonna fit or whatever, right? So I, I must have missed it at the beginning, but I didn't realize like what? Why is it called Dragon's Egg? Okay, um, but now I understand because it's on the cover. It's it's uh, or the original cover, anyways. It's in the constellation of Draco. They find a neutron star that's passing very close to the solar system. Yep. Thirty astronomical units out, which is not even. Uh, let's see. How far is Pluto? It's not that far, is it? No, it must be farther. It's it's further. It's it's further than Pluto, and it's also above the plane of the solar system. So it's not. It conveniently won't disrupt the solar system because if you had a neutron star plow through the plane of the elliptic of the solar system, you'd cause all sorts of problems mm-hmm. with the, with the orbits and everything. But since it's way above, and it just so happens we have this ancient space probe taking pictures of the sun way above. We get to see it. I had not realized another thing. I forgot that now feels more poignant now than in nineteen in the nineteen eighties when I read it. Is the the whole start at the beginning like oh we've just about given up on on space and and the space program. We only just have a few rounds up. We've kind of given up going going to the stars, and that unfortunately in this day and age feels more relevant than ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, but. But 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 because we found out the the, the sun is dying in the in this in this book. But it's it, said it's said about twenty uh, twenty, right? So the first yeah. the it first starts, it starts in twenty twenty fifty, yeah, and then goes to twenty fifty. So in twenty twenty, um, they still have the commun- the Soviet Union, which is fun, uh, <laughs> and well, they, oh, they yeah. they're doing. I remember them doing talking a lot about this in the eighties and uh, end of end of eighties. Where there's like the Soviets and the Americans are getting together to col- collaborate on stuff because nobody, neither neither government's willing to spend the money on the things that the scientists and engineers really care about, which is you know like making telescopes and putting probes in space and how to build that space station so we can you know become a spacefaring civilization and not just you know hang out on Earth all the time. And so that that part yeah felt like eh could be you know it could be just an old relic of a book but mm-hmm. as soon as we get to chila world um and we it turns into a big dumb object uh kind of story except it's about the inhabitants of this big dumb object and how they perceive reality and how different their reality is from ours but has the same laws of physics as ours just expressed in a place that we couldn't inhabit I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, the fact that half half the time they're worrying about c- 
colonizing, they can't go in different directions. They can only go east and west, and they can't go north and south, or how however it works. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. But as I <laughs> as I read it, I'm like, okay, I think I get this. These are like magnetic magnetic lines, and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then how if they fight against one direction and climbing climbing hills and going in the in the hard direction, and then the new bootstrapping that you know. We've got one and two for the two directions, and then there's the third, which is either hard direction. Oh, maybe that's wow. And then, you know, the the stuff with the seeds. I'm like, wow, this is an amazing book, just full <laughs> of idea, science fiction. This is wh- this is what I I want for my science fiction. Thank you very much. <laughs> See, and, and and I found that all so fascinating, but I found it so like I I would like I'd have to keep going back over it and over it because i'm like what 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 it's i find it's it slows me down all like all of that I, you just let it wash over you <laughs> she wants to understand jesse i'm and, trying and to that, understand that, it's I, hard to understand you, you don't carry a slide rule around in your pocket while you're listening do you i should obviously i clearly should. you you know, just you just pause the book and you do the calculations and then you say ah yes and then you continue on your bus journey or whatever <laughs> <laughs> like like I when he he says an animal doesn't need to develop curiosity and intelligence if it has problems that need solving. Okay, I understand that. And and I said, okay, there's something I can grab. Okay, so they need problems to solve. And then and then I'm reading 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 going, oh, I need to stop again. I I I'm not sure. Like, I, what I did was I allowed uh, forward to do all the math for me. And I just said, you know what? I trust you. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like yeah, I, feel the need to, do, do, you know, to do it, uh, to do all that working it out. Just sort of let it wash over, and I, I got the gist. I, I. That's exactly. You know, it was, makes me love science. Right? Is is not that I'm so good at doing the math. Is that I'm really in favor of the ideas and seeing. You can tell when somebody's bullshitting. There's there are, there's a little bit of bullshit in here, but almost it's not really about bullshitting. That's it's no, the I mean, opposite. No, it didn't seem bullshitty at all. Yeah, I mean there's so, there's some there a few things here and there that are like mostly to do with the humans and and you know why they would go visit this neutron star and all that stuff. But uh, down on the surface of the planet, um, I can see him mechanically putting the plot together in certain ways he wants certain things to happen um but i don't mind that because i'm getting more of the ideas which he's he's delivering and uh it says here um fascinatingly that forward himself describes the book as quote a textbook on neutron star physics disguised as a novel (laughs) i would would agree and What's cool about that is I feel like I've I've really understood neutron star physics, which may be an illusion, but it's not like I'm going to be visiting one anytime soon. So yeah, I'm good uh, with the level of knowledge I'm. In the solar system. Yeah, I mean it's 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 going to be hard. It's it's not going to happen within our lifetimes, according to uh, this book, right? When they discover Sadly, it. Sadly, yeah. Um, what what. I, I was I was interested because I had not played the game at the time, the the humans monopole technology, which yeah. is basically what allows them to do a lot of stuff. Basically, be able to get to and interact with the neutron star. I mean, 
Monopoles are a theoretical concept. We've never really seen one in the real world. We're not even sure they really exist in the real world. They sure are handy but, for Larry Nevin novels, though. They're, 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 they're handy for Larry Nevin novels. They're handy for this. And there was an old Infocom text adventure game called Starcross, hmm, which is a, which which is which is the first contact video game where you where you as the human come across this alien ship going through. But what you're doing at the beginning of the game is looking for magnetic monopoles in the asteroid belt. Mm-hmm. I they mean, were really I, hot in the eighties. Everybody was uh, that, writing. Books yeah, about because them. because if you have a magnetic monopole, if you have a magnetic monopole, you can do all sorts of interesting things to, to generate more monopoles, to use them for power, to use them as to uh, resist the forces of gravity. Monopoles, if we could actually find one, would be such a useful technology. And forward, I think forward not only wanted to write a textbook on neutral subjects. It's like if we could find if we could find monopoles, it would be really cool because we could do all sorts of things and solve okay. all sorts of problems. Okay, so excuse my ignorance. What is? Can you tell me what is a monopole? <laughs> okay, so okay, so great this Wikipedia entry so- that. If you want to do math, Misa, if you want to do math, oh, check out the uh, giant uh, magnetic monopole Wikipedia entry. I, I, I'll, I'll boil it down for you. So, you know, like every magnet has a has a positive pole and a negative pole, right? Yes. Monopoles only have one. Oh. That, so that leads to all sorts of interesting consequences when you only have one pole and not the other as far as the strength of the monopole being able to generate others and doing things with magnetic fields to generate energy and other things that you can't do with a regular magnet. And and anything that's made of regular matter, as far mm-hmm. as we can tell, couldn't have a single pole. So right. if you take a, a regular bar magnet and you, you Cut it slice in half, it in you can... half, you now have two magnets that are right. exactly like the one you right. had, but smaller, right? Right. Um, so they're always looking for, uh, I read a bunch of 80s science fiction novels, and uh, that was basically the premise of, you know, all asteroid mining. What, what they're really looking, it's not gold. They're looking for monopoles. Um, because if we can get some monopoles, then we can make some more spaceships to go out and look for more monopoles. And, and you can make, you can also generate monopoles from monopoles. That's right. Right. Right, which they do in this book. Right, it's just like, and then then you can solve all sorts of problems with power generation. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's 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 almost like nuclear fusion. It's like it would solve lots of problems if we could actually do it. Except but. the difference is we know that nuclear fusion happens, right? Right, whereas, yeah, right. Whereas right. we're not one hundred percent sure that uh, magnetic monopoles are less less. Uh, they're theoretical. They're, they're theoretical, right? Yeah, whereas fusion is definitely happening in the sun, right? But actually trying to actually make that happen is On actually Earth difficult. Is kind of hard. I, I mean, I mean, if we had a monopole, if we had real <laughs> monopoles, it'd be easy to. If it'd we be had a lot hammer, easier to generate power. We could build a house, but we need some <laughs> nails and some wood. Um, but I want to. I want to point out that this is this the kind of bonanza of of science fiction, hard science fiction, and medium soft medium hard science fiction that was boiling around in the 80s was uh, full of this stuff the, the ma- magnetic monopole we don't hear much about it at all anymore but um, what's so cool is science fiction really does care about science uh, re- real science fiction not you know mm-hmm. spaceships 
with uh, you know doing broadsides against each other, space opera. It, <laughs> it, we're we're talking. Uh, don't laugh, Paul. It, it's a whole genre, okay? I know it's a whole genre. It's Napoleonic era war stuff. in space. It doesn't make any sense, but it's a genre, and it's you know it's cool if you like it. But real science fiction, the hard stuff, the stuff that's about science, really does care about this stuff, like these weird ideas of you know. Well, maybe maybe a magnetic monopole exists, and what about neutron stars? That I mean, th- those were a hot commodity, and that's why you get novels and stories about neutron stars in seventies and eighties. Um, and there's there are technologies that, and and this book is so good at showing why you know a, a technology like math, which is a kind of technology, it's sort of once you know how to do it, you can do a bunch of things, and you can't predict all the things that come from it. This is, if you look at like a, a show like Connections, the James Burke show. Did you uh-huh. see that? My it's really amazing. Um, I, I've no, I have not seen. I think I've seen bits, but no. Yeah, he's done a ton of shows, but his his well, one most people know him for is Connections, where he just looks at the history of of invention and and science and and shows how things are connected uh, in surprising ways. You know, this little piece of curiosity comes back 30 years later and this guy picks up this and he uses it to make that it, and it's basically the creation and invention of tools um how you know how the airplane got made and how, you know it's not just the wright brothers there's tons of people around the world trying to make airplanes they they know that this this should be possible but this guy you know he gets his order delivery and they send him the wrong engine it's too heavy and he can't get off the ground but this other guy, you know, he writes a letter to and, you know, finding all the connections. So what's cool about a, a book like this where you sort of streamline the, um, the the parts and you just look at a bunch of characters from, from a history. This is a, a made up sort of rhyming history of our own history of, of science and technology is that unlike in here, in our reality, when a new technology comes around, we... A lot of people just say, uh-huh, and then they forget about it. and Or they dismiss it even more. They dismiss it, and then they say, there's no point in caring about this. It's it's useless. And it is useless for the moment. So wh- why am I talking about this? Um, because right now, a lot of people are writing a whole bunch of articles about something th- that they think is useless and, and is a failure, and there's endless YouTube videos about saying how it's unimportant and uninteresting. And that is blockchain technology. So blockchain tr- technology is kind of math technology, not a uh, you know physical technology, but mm-hmm. it it has a certain set of properties that are very interesting, and you know that's what made Bitcoin shoot up in price. That uh, people are saying, you know, this has some some valuable properties, um, and yet you know Bitcoin has crashed, and all and there's many other you know cryptocurrencies out there. But blockchain technology doesn't seem to have a practical application at the moment. But all, all I'll tell you is wait 30 or 40 or 50 years because someone is going to figure out some way to make this useless little piece of trivia incredibly you know, important for our daily lives in some way. And we won't know how it goes in because if we did, then we would be able to have visited the future and see that. But if you look at what happens is Somebody invents or discovers some element or some real thing that actually has properties. And then 
wait 50 years or 100 years. Usually not 100. Wait 50 years. And you'll see that that thing incredibly pervasive and being used in ways that no one would have guessed at the time. And I love that what we when we look at this book, we can see how, you know, after a certain point, we don't need to see them developing the, the robots, right? We know that they're on the same trajectory that we were on and they're going to surpass us. And I think that it, it's really nice to see it all summed up here, but they do leave out that one aspect, which is, you know, when you're zipping through time at the speed that they are, um, and we, how, how's it go in the book? Um, one second later, you know, is 30, 30, what's it? It's a million times faster than us. Right. So yeah. how long do they have to hold still to take that portrait? It's like, is it, it wasn't six turns. Was it six, six days? And a turn is yeah, not like a day, but it's it's something, it's their unit of measurement, right? Is it it's the like turn, five, of, turn five of the planet? A second or turn of the star? Yeah. Turn of the yeah. neutron star, right? So, yeah, and yeah. they're spinning at a, a very fast rate. So it's their unit, their basic unit of measurement. But I I, I think this is just brilliant. It makes me um, open up my mind rather than you know, just adventure along with somebody with a sword. I'm I'm good with a guy with a sword. But. Well, that, 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 listeners, he's listening. He's referring to the last book we listened to, which was Glory Road. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I read half of Glory Road. And then you got knocked out. And then I got knocked out. Yeah. And uh, I yeah. I forgot to tell you, um, Misa. I th- I don't I th- I said I just got I I tweeted you said I just got to the part where I got. Where you got knocked out, I almost got knocked out. Then I, I went along farther and I realized that that was a different part. <laughs> that was uh, earlier on, and I'm like, wow, yeah, that was that was knocky. Um, I don't think there's a lot of uh, leftover sexism knocky. here. You know, no, 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 no. This is very interesting, sex-wise. Yeah. It, it, like it was so um, even. Very, very interesting how the majority of the the scientist characters were female. We saw mm-hmm. um, yep. right and, from the beginning. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. right. The grad student, the 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 humans on on the spacecraft. That that that, that I mean, lots of novels. I wasn't talking about humans, anyone near as well. Yeah, you're right. They they were in the humans as well. But I was just thinking that yeah, I was thinking of the humans. Yeah, the the warriors would seem to be predominantly female. Mm-hmm. Our, our our major our, our major tyrant queen is female, the one that wants to live forever and become right. a by by becoming a plant again, and it fails. Yeah. I, I I thought that was tragic. Like, oh man, nope, she's not going to get to become an immortal queen after all. And then we're going to have then then we're going to have a a revolution. And I was thinking uh, when uh, after I was, I was thinking like. Um, barracks emperors and the fall of the Roman Empire when yeah after emperors would fall there'd be mad scrambles for power and I was thinking oh oh so they're going through that phase of their history now Oops. yeah I, I thought she would turn into a megalomaniac though had she survived oh oh definitely she would have but uh, that would have been a different kind story. of uh, that would have been a different she story. was already there but she yeah, was but, already yeah, but, but had oh, she, been she, she was saying we're going to kill all the scientists if they fail right uh, yeah yeah yeah. Yep, she she was definitely going for the tyrant. 
it, she it, was. It, it, there was a lot of stuff to dislike about their society as as you go, but you're sort of saying, well, you know, they're only at this stage. You, you can't you can't uh, hold it. They sleep. They, they, yeah, they, no, they, they, they nice never give up. Though. Yeah, they they never give up eating their dead, which is very. I think I think that that's human. what's so good about this book is that. Um, they're not humans, right? So they the, mm-hmm. the relationship they they have to their and and when when it starts going in that direction, when when Suther Suther starts naming and separating out her eggs from the others, that's not a good thing. I think like <laughs> you're going against the morality. I don't accept that. <laughs> she, she, you she, should she just eat your son. You should just eat yeah, your, your was... friends and yeah, yeah. The the the, the novel. The novel does do much better with the with the, the uh, alien characters and the humans. Pink eyes, which we mentioned before, who, the, mm-hmm. the prophet, and him figuring out where the beam was. So let's let's uh, kick off a religious uh, conversion here and He's we get in the power until, for, for what forty turns. <laughs> um, forward, forward was not subtle. Um, I, there there were genuine moments. I was driving yesterday, listening to you know like last couple of hours and there was a genuine moment where i just laughed full belly out loud while listening to the book where it's just like that is that is classic that's a great little it's not a comedy book but i found myself smiling a lot at at the antics of these these tiny little creatures because they're they're so cute (laughs) they're so weird right they're they're uh their life philosophy is based on their biology and their biology like nobody's getting married right nobody ha- sits down and has a house and then two kids and a, you know get a new car you know their culture is is based on their biology their biology is based on their uh, their chemistry and their chemistry is based on their their very strange physics and hmm. and i think that he he did a really i mean it's it's i think that if you want to criticize the book as being weak in areas, I'd say their ecosystem seems kind of uh, minimal, right? They basically yeah. have two kinds of plants. Three. Uh, there's a few others mentioned, right? There's some animals out there that they they get into fights with, but the, their ecosystem seems a little bit uh, underdeveloped. Ford was a physicist, not a biologist. But yeah, this is this is like a. Uh, a, a fully realized version of a book that I haven't read, but probably will will with you guys at some point now that I think about it, uh, called Which Flatland. Book? You guys heard oh, about this? Land? Oh, absolutely, yes. Is Flatland. it another gravity book? It's an no. interesting book. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've never heard of... It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a 19th century mathematical parable. Uh, Abbott, isn't it? Yeah, um, and... It's called uh, Romance of Many Dimensions. <laughs> you've, you've, yeah, yeah we, I mean, if there's an audiobook of Flatland. Uh, there is one on Audible. Uh, I'm sure a bunch on Audible. There's a LibriVox one, but I, I would it's love not one to... I've sat down and read because I'm afraid of math, you know? like I know. I'm, I'm already, my head's already starting to pound at the thought uh, of it. Well, uh, let me uh, let uh, me just uh, tell you why you should care about this book, because it sounds awesome. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's it's written by a, a schoolmaster, uh, a math guy, and uh, its title is Flatland, a Romance of Many Dimensions. It's a satirical novel, a sort of, written by Edwin Abbott, first published in 1884, and it was written pseudonymously as By a Square. 
Now, <laughs> why that's important? By a squared. Yes, a squared. Oh. <laughs> well, well, the, the main character is a square. You that's see. right. <laughs> that's great. And they live in a uh, in an alternate dimension where there are only two dimensions. And I believe at some point in the book, it's not quite a novel. I think it's quite short. Um, they are invaded by uh, 3D space. Circle? Yeah. Oh. And the, what? How are males? Ad- are circles? Female? Is that how it goes? I can't remember. No. No, no, Diamonds? no, no, no. No lines. No straight lines are females. Lines. Straight lines are females. Squares are males. Well, well, everything else is male. Only lines are females. I mean, so triangles are males. Squares are males. Pentagons are males. All the way up to circles are males. Females are all lines. And they they have they live in houses and they they travel around and then there's an invasion of it's like an invasion literature book right <laughs> i think <laughs> but, i've heard of this actually yeah it's kind of a cute it, idea it, it, yeah yeah it, it it i mean there was a cosmos episode where he talks about it and uh, okay it, it's, it's it's in the it's in the popular it's in the pop it's in the popular culture apparently right. big bang theory did an episode that mentions it but futurama uh, did, there's did a, a version and Right, maybe that's where I saw and it. It was in the Orville as well, right? That the, they have a yes, a, yeah, an Orville episode that, and that's one of the weaker ones. Um, I think that was one of the weakest ones of the Orville, but where they go to a two-dimensional realm. Yep, yeah, 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 I remember. But it's it, it is it's interesting that you can see like these. Oh, there, there there's very few times when we are outside of the view of the chila but there's one time i remember where one of the chila they're near the north pole and he says uh, uh did you notice that our planet or our world is shaped like an egg isn't that funny <laughs> when he says that it's flat on both ends right and and then the author steps in and says well actually they're wrong about that because see their measuring sticks are also being oh, yes. as like oh so what happens is i think is the writer's writing and he says uh huh i'm gonna have the guy discover the shape of their world and then he realizes wait a second <laughs> I, I just did my math wrong so now of course they've discovered it incorrectly that uh, so he must have had a a ball making this book it sounds really like it just a, this is real world creation, world building, as they say, right? It's a rock. Yeah, I liked how the Chilas uh, saw the people too. What did he say? Like that sort of sounded like are you talking about? Like what did they say? Like long rectangular lines, mm. almost, almost flat too. They're very angular. It's like well, Ang- like how, how how could that be? How can they be so big and sticky and like sticky? They'll, they'll because- break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not able yeah, to. Yeah, so like even a perception like that is very cool. I I talked to Eric uh, Ravkin about this book. He um, he recalls reading it, and he said um, something interesting. We learn the name of these aliens, but we never actually learned why they're called that. Um, I don't think in the book. But he he said that it it comes from another. Uh, I, now I'm guessing I can't remember what language it was, but it it comes from the word for thousand. Um, and so I thought that it, there's a lot of work going into making 
like why is why are the mescalinites called mescalinites? Um, because the world's named mescaline, right? Why is the world named mescaline? It sounds like a drug, right? Is it? It's a drug trip? Mm, not sure. I think this is a math book. It is some something like when you start looking at what the physics of a neutron star look like and and what what people would have to be what beings would have to be like when you you um, start seeing them at at the like the surface level you would see well they're not going to be operating at the same speed as us because the energy levels are much higher right so I think he started with a thousand times faster and then realized that that was not enough and so he went mm. higher so they're like the fa- the fast ones and that's why we're the slow ones and slow is in stupid but also slow is in uh, living at a, a slow rate and and I don't know if you guys have experienced this yourselves, but um, for this book, I was I started to get worried late late yesterday. I wasn't going to finish because it's a long book, it's 16 hours or so. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's a little <laughs> shorter than that. Um, but it was a long book, and uh, so I turned up the speed, right? You know, oh, you did? Well, I did. I do that when I have to. I turned it up to 1.5 uh, for a while, and then I turned it back down to uh, one time speed. But um, after a certain point, you get used to it at 1.5 times speed. I, I, I've never actually experimented with that. I usually stay at 1.0 speed. Yeah, when I'm I did, enjoying I saw, it, I, 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 I do that. I keep it at 1, right? But I've noticed that it's entirely possible to sort of gear up, maybe when you've had a lot of coffee as well, to gear up <laughs> to a higher speed and just operate at a, at a higher speed. And, you know, if you visit certain countries of the world, right, Things are much more relaxed and slow paced. Yep. Um, and you can sort of feel it when you get off the plane or you get off the boat or whatever it is you get off and or even, you know, just the country versus the city. Things. Nobody's in a hurry. Everything can go at a certain rate. And even the day seems to to uh, go longer. Right. And mm-hmm. and we are able to operate at a higher speed than we we normally do, I think. Um, you know, when you're listening to some people talk, uh, <laughs> it's really slow. Uh, when If you've ever heard Luke Burridge's podcast, you know, he's a fast talker. And the only time he slows down to, you know, one point time speed is uh, when he's drunk. <laughs> he's, he's like normal speed. So I think that there's um, there is some flexibility to our ability to to go at a certain speed it's not really addressed in this book you know as i think you're right you can get into a groove like it's sort of like the the grooves of that planet you you get into it and then you just beat you're in that speed so you stay there yeah and those magnetic lines you know it's it's you're going in the hard direction you're you're going against the grain right right i think we've been in that sort of uh that mode and we are in that mode in many ways and and that if you want to get certain things done, you can totally get them done because they're easy easy to move in. But um, the way that Chila have to deal with, you know, they're running around naked, right? And their bodies are flexible so they, they can get squished or pushed or grow their appendages. And, and I loved when we find out, you know, how they, they take in uh, vegetable matter that's crystalline and then they can use that to prop up their own body parts and make make their eye stalks stay on end right 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Even in yeah. the hard direction. Wow, amazing. Um, th- this is uh, it's it's very interesting that the, their technology is not like ours in so many ways. When they get the tasting plates, I'm like, oh yeah, brilliant. But it's only about halfway through the book I realized that, oh, like, I think I get this now. They are actually they don't have oral communication at all, right? They don't send sound waves through the air because there's no air. Or if there is, it's not the kind of air that transmits sound waves. They send it through the ground. They're always yeah, yeah. They have to, they're all tremor sense. They're right. they're wiggling on the ground and in, in saying, "I am coming, I am coming, I'm marching <laughs> up the hill," right? And so this, oh, somebody important is coming. He yeah, has a lot of badges or whatever it is, right? That is um, a completely different kind of culture. Completely that goes back of, to yeah. that go, go back to flatland and women have to basically make a sound at all times because since they're two dimensional you can't see a woman coming if she's going <laughs> point on so w- women have to sp- because and, and if you're not careful she would puncture you so that women have to go give their peace cry so that you can know to get out of the way so you don't get punctured by a woman mm-hmm. in the uh, in flatland and there's even uh, male doors and female doors right. There's even male doors and females and parts of their houses. So, I, I, I mean, it's just, just a consequence of living in a very uh, strange uh, environment. And this and this, not, this, this, not, this novel, I mean, yes, the, the ecosystem is relatively simple, but it, he, once he sets his premises, he, he, he meticulously thinks about, well, how would this work and how would this work? I mean, th- just the thing, there are no wheels. Mm-hmm. They've never invented the wheel Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't need a wheel, and a wheel would not really work very well on a neutron star because the gravity at the top of the wheel would be too high for it to actually yeah. be functional. Mm-hmm. It so it it is. I mean, it's like if they're playing a game of Civilization, and it's like decide not to invent the wheel, just go for other technologies instead, which is kind of ridiculous. But it's like okay, we have we have anti gravity, but we don't have the wheel. It's a lot of barbarians to conquer chill. for sure in this. Oh, uh... oh I I mean. I admit I was playing a little bit of Civilization Six. I was listening to this. It's like he says, "Here, oh, here come the Barbie tribes." Okay, let me get my chiller and go fight them. It's like I wish I had the chiller and some better weapons than what I have right now. The barbs, barbs are swarming me here. Crap. So now listeners know what kind of things I do when I listen to audiobooks. But you know, I digress. I, I found uh, here's here's a little bit of uh, sad news for uh, for listeners. Um, so. There's remember the scene in the book where the chiller decided to cure the woman of breast cancer. No, yes. No, I don't. But uh, tell yeah, me more be, about be, it. Okay. Okay. So so there, there's a scene where uh, the where 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 the uh, the daughter of the uh, of the original astronomer she's on the spacecraft she's communicating with the chiller and the chiller because they have X-ray vision and they can see so they say they they can see the cancer and they say well what are we going to do like if by the time we tell her through all the means and she gets to a doctor, she could die. So let's just flood her with x-rays and and cure the cancer and not tell her. And she just gets this burn and it's cured. Right. Right. Okay. Yes, I do remember that. Okay. So now, now, now here's, here's the unfortunate kicker. Robert L. Forward died of cancer. (laughs) Oh, really? Really? (laughs) It wasn't breast cancer, but it was, uh, I think it was cancer. Yeah. So that's, that's the kicker. So it's like, oh, Yep. Huh. So, um, it's a, it also explains yeah. why we haven't got a lot more books by him. Now, 
no. It, I mean, he he wrote a sequel to this. He wrote the Roche World books. Um, Did you enjoy the sequel to this? Um, the the sequel to this is good. It's not as good as this one. There's no audiobook, sadly. There's no ebook to it. It you can find. I've I've seen copies of it for sale, but unfortunately, it doesn't have anywhere near the claim this does. That's that's but, how almost all sequels are. So I'm not. I'm not I, I know you ashamed. in sequels. I mean, you don't you don't need the sequel to this book. I mean, I'll tell you all what happens. Um, there's a the there's a earthquake on the neutron star. Most of the Chila die. The Chila try to repopulate their world with just like a few people to re- basically rebuild the entire civilization. And in the meantime, the humans have difficulties trying to get back to Earth. That's basically the novel. Yeah, we didn't it's, we didn't need that not, because it's, it's, we already know not, the future uh, from this book, right? That they they've traveled all over the universe and they've uh, planted little clues to. You, you know, once you get to this stage, you could have our our math on this because you'll you'll need that. Yeah, it's interesting so, that the Chila do that, whereas the humans they just dump they just dump everything, right? Like here, read this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean the whole, the whole, the whole idea of uh, uh, the prime directive. Yeah, the humans have never heard of it, obviously. Like, oh, let's just give the Chila everything. Well, let's just start feeding them encyclopedias because we have nothing better to do. And then, of course, uh, um, Sooth, Sooth, it's been, t- been taking uh, taking lessons from uh, Machiavelli. Yeah, and she's like- looking forward to <laughs> what Napoleon will have to teach yeah. her about ruling a government. It's like, oh my God, what do you do? <laughs> You humans, you <laughs> monsters! You created a you created a tyrant because she's reading the encyclopedia. Well, uh, like the Orville episode, right? They they're all worried about the Prime Directive at first, but by the time it gets to the end, it's like, yeah, you guys, you know, you think you fucked us up, but no, we we have to develop, and we developed, and yeah, there was tragedies and stuff, but we're, we're doing pretty good. Don't worry about us. So yeah, just a phase. It's interesting. I've got a bunch of quotes um, from covers of the book, you know, who people saying good things about the book. Uh, these are good. Dragon's Egg is superb. I couldn't have written it. It required too much real physics. Larry Niven. <laughs> <laughs> no. That sounds very Larry What's Niven-esque. funny, though, is, listen to this, um... Bard was the scientist and Larry Niven the author of a tutorial on science fiction writing. And later that evening, Forward and Niven agreed to collaborate on a novel on aliens on a neutron star. However, Niven soon found himself too busy with Lucifer's Hammer, on which he had already uh, began co-writing with Jerry Pornell. Forward wrote the first draft himself, but several publishers suggested the stories should be rewritten by Niven or Pornell, who were still busy. Finally, Lester Del Rey provided comments that guided for uh, guided forward through two rewrites, and Del Rey bought the novel. Forward described the work as a textbook on a neutron star, uh, uh, st- neutron star physics disguised as a novel. Um, I think it didn't hurt that Larry Niven wasn't on it, but uh, it would have been a different kind of book, right? Mm-hmm. It a very different kind yeah. of book. Uh, yeah. it, it, it would have had a lot of the same things, but there would have been maybe the sex would have been different, the relationships would have been different, and the humans would definitely have been different. Maybe maybe that would have been a good thing, because uh, the human part was not super interesting. Here's another quote. No. 
Bob Forward writes in the tradition of Hal Clement's Mission of Gravity and carries it a giant step. How else? Forward. <laughs> Isaac Asimov. <laughs> uh-huh. See? He likes it. Here's yeah, a, he liked it. Here's another one. A gripping and logical account of the evolution of intelligence in an alien race. And that's uh, Charles Sheffield, which... Oh, yep. have, have you ever read it, Charles Sheffield? I don't think so. I, I, another limited author who, who died way too soon. Mm-hmm. He has a lot. He has lots of good novels out there. I don't know how many of them are in audiobook, sadly and tragically, but if we can find some, you might like some of his work mm-hmm. too. Sounds good. And this one, listen to this one. This is one for the real science fiction fan. John Campbell would have loved it. Frank Herbert. <laughs> real, this is, real science fiction fan. I mean, I mean, I, I take the word, I take the, the word that phrase badly but i mean science fiction fans like you jesse who who are more interested in ideas than than anything else so you you got to have the idea otherwise it's otherwise it's crap i mean this i I mean i'm 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 very 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 glad that we did this book and that you liked it as much as i thought you would because this is this is so in line with all sorts of stuff but you know i i also really like the the thing called science fiction that is the hard proper cares about science fiction um i you know i love fantasy when it's it's the right kind what i don't love is derivative sort of you know let's go on another adventure but with the file numbers filed off right you know the the so that we know it's it's just more of the same i don't want just more of the same i want the same but different (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, not just, you know, another world with a, you know, there are literally, I think, dozens and dozens of, of great genres that I really, really like. You know, I like psychological thrillers, but they have to be good. Um, and I think that the kind of science fiction that this is, the not the real science fiction fan, as in we're the real fans and they're not. But the fan of real science um, will love a book like this. And I, I, when I went to get this book, I realized, uh oh, this is, um, I don't have enough time to get it from the publisher. I'm going to have to buy it. Oh my God. So <laughs> I, I uh, went looking, and uh, oh, it turns out that Tantor, the publisher, and uh, we've got a good narrator here, Todd McLaren, he did the Altered Carbon. He's, all, mm-hmm. he's good at pronunciation. He got all the words right. Um, I think he did a pretty good job. There's a lot of female characters in here, and he did okay with them. Um, the sex scenes were funny, considering he did the ones in Altered Carbon as well. and <laughs> Those were, like, ooh, awkward. Um, these ones were, like, kind of funny and hilarious, because there's these uh, very uh, sexy um, wiggling <laughs> <laughs> grains of sand that want somebody to sandwich them. Sandwich me, please. It's like, what? <laughs> so funny. Anyways, um, I went to the publisher, looked online. I couldn't get my password to work to sign in to you know, buy it from them. So I went to Downpour and I got it there. And uh, Which means because I got it on Downpour, it was uh, MP3. Uh, you can get it on Audible's too. But I got an MP3 and that means I can send it to you guys. I sent it to my friend Steen, and I said, I think you're going to really like this book. And he, he said, Dragon's Egg, I don't think so. Sounds, And I said, no, it's not a fantasy. <laughs> I said, it's hard <laughs> science fiction set on a neutron star. I think you're going to like it. 
Um, and just yesterday he was saying, I really like Dragon's Egg. <laughs> and it's like, wow, isn't that nice that you can you can take a book and you can pass it to your friend and say, I think you're gonna like this book, and they they do like it. That's, that 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 is a very good feeling. Like yes, I I succeeded. I succeeded in showing somebody the joys of an author and their work. Mm-hmm. That I, I like so much. Yeah, I I really get jazzed on that. And I'm glad that I'm glad Steen liked the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pity he wasn't on. Couldn't be on the show to tell tell us. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't start more. until like two days ago. But he he's, oh. he's well deep into it now. I think, and he's got twelve or fifteen or. 16 hours, however long. It's uh, it's worth listening to, to as long as you're not at a million times speed. I think you're going to be good. Right. Maybe you can you can turn it up to 1.9 uh, times while, during the human sections and turn it back down to uh, <laughs> 1.0 for, for, uh, for yeah, the sadly, tragically, yeah. I mean, I mean the 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 opening the opening uh, section with the humans was is fine as they're they're slowly trying to uh, figure out. I need more rubles for runtime on the computer in 2020. I can't afford to. <laughs> but but but, but the thing, the thing, think about it, like oh I I mean that's that. Those were problems that, that forward were ha- was having in 1980, buddy. Yeah, yeah, but then when when he moved when he moved into the 2050, like I I did like his crew mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know the, the mix, the good mix, good mix of people. Uh, one of them's last name was Niven. Did you notice that? I did. I did. Yes. Thought that was yeah. That, that was cl- that was cl- there's clearly Tuckerizing uh, mm-hmm. Larry Niven into 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 his novel, which I thought was, which I thought was pretty neat. Lovely nod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's like, what 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 would a neutron star? Yeah. What would what 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 could we do here as our our own twenty first century if a neutron star appeared in our solar system? Could we even? Manage to get a spacecraft there? Probably not, because a we haven't we don't have monopole technology, and b we're even more uh, messed up with our with our space program than uh, the world of this novel is, unfortunately. So if neutrons are passing by. We might take some pictures of it with the telescope, and that's unfortunately about it, which is kind of sad. Mm. But yes, I mean, if a neutrons are to the solar system, I would sure want us to go and try. Send probes. It's kind of curious that they do send humans to basically go right, look at it, rather than saying. I mean, I mean, we would probably just send our robot space probes. Yes. In in this day and age, to to try to try to uh, send it, we'd probably uh, launch it launch it off and probably use Jupiter as a as a gravity boost and launch it up in out of the plane of the elliptic to uh, to reach it. Whereas here they have the one the maniac monopoles they can just boost their way all the way to there there wasn't any um hoffman transfer orbits here to try to speed up speed up space probes as we do with our with with real space probes in the real world because we don't have a good propulsion system to to power wherever we want in the solar system we have to use these orbits and slingshots to actually get anywhere because we're so limited in our technology i want to i want to tell you but that wasn't that that all that all wasn't just greek was it to you guys no 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 i i want to i want to tell you guys um there's lots of little interesting bits because the way this book is set up with the alternating time timelines and we get a so many characters who don't last very long it's 
it's um it's fun so there's lots of little anecdotal scenes and things to pick up on one of them is uh just a little one where a scientist what's his name it's not einstein but it's it's one of those post uh when they get the uh, encyclopedia download um he's he's named uh something and then uh, like some human name like michelangelo or something right and yeah. oh no he's named after a superconductor i think Superconductivity, super I think. Yeah, the there name. were some supers, yeah. So superconductivity it, it discovers some fascinating technology, right? And they use it to uh, create a dime, diamond out of carbon in a vacuum. They, This is a vacuum! <laughs> wow, amazing! It's the opposite <laughs> of what we have, which is incredible pressure, right? Um, and then they create something. So apparently, um, you know, he was a... Aero, aerospace physicist um, forward his one of his best known papers uh, is called extracting electrical energy from the vacuum by cohesion of charged foliated conductors which is a great great title for a paper right extracting yeah. electrical energy from the vacuum by cohesion of charged foliated conductors and it discusses the casimir effect which is obviously named after a person, right? Uh, yeah. A Dutch physicist named uh, Hendrik Casimir. In 1948, he, he predicted this effect. And it, 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 the Casimir effect is a small attractive force that it acts between two close parallel uncharged conducting plates. It is due to quantum vacuum fluctua fluctuations of the electromagnetic field. So his paper is about getting energy uh, from basically nothing literally nothing you get two plates that you put them really close together they're they have no electrical energy but because they're close together and they have certain properties you get quantum vacuum fluctuation energy which is just free energy from from reality right yeah and mm -hmm. that's something that's supposed to not have any um not it's not supposed to be allowed right under physics but as we go as, under standard physics, under yeah. Standard physics, yeah. As we go, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna build a car out of this kind of energy because the level is too low. But as we go, time will pass. It's been uh, almost uh, it's been exact yeah, just about 60 years or 70 years. Somebody's gonna find a use for this, right? Somebody's gonna find a use for it, and it's gonna start showing up in things. And maybe we will use it to get to a neutron star. I don't know why uh, we don't spend more money on certain things because, I, I mean, I guess I do know why, but I want yeah, I want us we, to spend we, more we, we on certain why. things, um, and we spend it on sort of stupid things like war and um, more <laughs> dropping more dumb bombs on on people who. Or no 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 they're the smartest bomb. Okay okay I, I'll stop the politics now because I was about to go into a rant. Yeah, but they're not that <laughs> smart. You know, they're, know. They're, they're good at hitting targets, but they're more they're more good at wasting money, right? So, mm -hmm. I I think that it's it's really cool that we can sort of if we this is what I'm always trying to do. I never try and look forward to what's going on because I have no idea what's going to happen. But what I do notice is that I can see a lot clearer when I look backwards and and look at stuff and say, look look at that connection between this and our reality now and and why were we so obsessed with that thing at that time what made us like that and then see, you know we have a distance from these things that people 
didn't at the time. Um, and they they can they can't see how it's going to turn out, so they don't understand the full picture. But we we have a much better time in looking back and and taking a little piece of technology or a, a physics idea and saying, well, what's this like? And we can see that even though perhaps this story is kind of silly in the sense that we have no evidence that there's any life possible on a neutron star, but there certainly is a lot of energy there. And where there's a lot of energy, there is a lot of possibility for life. Because yeah, when there's almost no silly. energy, there doesn't seem to be any. Right? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Wouldn't you like to be? Wouldn't you like to turn into your your vegetative state then huh. for and, and for regenerate, a of yeah, and then come back and see? Yeah, I, I think that that's sort of the wish fulfillment there, and and the fact that they get to live in in, in long enough to see see the changes in their society. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of a little preview. It's very. Um, this book has a lot of tension with uh, sort of an Olaf Stapleton style book, you know, where mm-hmm. there's no plot, <laughs> there's, there's almost no named characters, and you just see vast swaths of time and development and, you know, ethereal forces um, blowing, blowing along through geologic time. And this book has that sort of push to it, but he, he struggles against it a few uh, a few different ways, and one of them is is with that little vegetative uh, reversion that happens. But on the other hand, it's fascinating that we only learn that they're vegetables. <laughs> they have a vegetable state early, you know, that, that that's where they came out of. I, when, right. I, when, I, when I first, I, I had, that was another one. I went back and I went, they're vegetables? Like a couple of times I went back and forth, back and forth. Yes, they are. They're, yeah, like, was, But it makes sense because he, he yeah. lays the groundwork saying, you know, where there's he does a lot of sort of god hand wavy world creation stuff that's well done and he, what he says is you know where there is uh uh people getting free rides from uh you know getting plant growth then there's going to be things eating those plants and where there's things eating those plants there's going to be predators eating the mm-hmm. the th- right and so the um i'm not sure that his thesis that uh, you get brains from solving problems uh, of that kind. Like the kind of brains that we have seem to be fairly s- different from the kinds of brains that other predators have. But I, I, I think in terms of that, it, it was they all they always advanced when they were going in the hard direction, right? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. They, very they, nice they metaphor. The Very yeah. nice So metaphor. that's like the pro- that's what I think he meant by you have mm-hmm. to overcome something to advance, which is how it went the whole way. It's like uh, that scene where the the guy who invents ma- or the girl, whoever it is, who invents math, and is trying to explain it to the yeah to the the old guy. And the old guy's, I'm not getting this. That's like yeah. me in math yeah. class. Like I'm yeah. not. I don't know what you're talking about. I've got one. I, I I've got two. Just, I've got three. I've got many. That's it. The, what, what more yeah. do you need? <laughs> and then, yeah, then they have yeah. that fight. You know whether we're gonna. If we have enough. Like I, I didn't understand at first that, like, why is this this uh, being going on and on about? You know, how does she know that? Oh, I see. And then mm-hmm. I, I think that that's really well done. That when we 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 start empathizing with the the stupid characters and then realizing that we're, we're in the wrong, 
like uh, the leader was, right? And then th- that's a uh, and develops the whole cuneiform style of uh, of accounting. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. Brilliant book. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Crack the egg. Uh, let's crack the. Let's crack this book open and. <laughs> Wait, start reading. Wait a second. Should have been done by now. All right, I'm just adjusting my sword here. It's actually a really nice um, boom. I I was waiting. I was looking at them for years and. Are you still on the blue microphone? Yeah, it's on a blue Yeti. And and you found a way to attach that to a boom? Well, it is. It's designed by Blue. That's why. It's oh, designed okay. for this. And it <laughs> okay. has, you know, it looks like one of the ones you would see at CBC or something like that. It's very, it's tubular rather than uh, sort of just like a, you know, desk lamp thingy. I, this very is the first time I've used it for podcasting, though. So I'm just a You little. sound pretty good. Yeah, it should be all right. They're supposed to be, um, I mean, they, they advertise it as having, yeah, it seems to be rising up, though, doing something wrong. I have to secure it more tightly. You need a little neutron, you need a little black um, hole there. Rising. Hold it down. Some neutronium. <laughs> Still rising. <laughs> Okay, we'll just leave it as it is and see how it goes. Okay. All right. Uh, Dragon's Egg. Here we go.